0: up, you beautiful bastards, welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show and I have to start today off with some good news, bad news, and I'll start with the bad news first. So while I feel a lot better than how I was feeling about a week and a half ago when I went to the ER, something is definitely still wrong with me. I'm not going to speculate here, just it's been uncomfortable and painful and so I just I got to go to the doctor a bunch, starting with I mean literally during filming today. I so just want to let you know like 98% of you have been saying I am going to take my health first, but I will still be doing my damnedest to give you a great show every day that I'm supposed do, but uh, if I don't, if I'm not gonna be able to put out a show, you just follow me on Twitter, I'll let you know there. So that is a negative. And then on the positive, uh, today is my seven year anniversary with my lovely wife, Lindsay. We've actually been together now 14 years, which is fucking insane. Living my life with you has been the best choice I've ever made. And then finally prepare yourself for the whiplash of this transition. I just launched the amazing March beautiful bastard drop. We've got emotionally exhausted shirt and hoodie, awesome. Our fantastic collab with Space Wolf for our one day will all be skeletons, hoodies, and shirts, as well as our brand new Actions Define you Olive Hoodie. Also after seven years, we brought back the sports hat, but also there is some good news, bad news here. The good news is that for a number of these items, they actually now go up to 5XL. We've been trying to be way more inclusive. It, it's taken us a while to get here, but we have. But the bad news is if you're not getting in on this fast, you're missing out. I mean, two of our items are already sold out, are pastel hoodies. So get what you want while you can, because already we're on pace for this to be be the biggest drop we've ever done. But with all of that said, buckle up for today's show hit that like button and let's just jump into it. you know, the first thing that we're gonna talk about today is this bizarre story that actually starts back on Wednesday of last week. Right, so Wednesday morning, Santa Fe police respond to a carjacking and a kidnapping case. The driver was 44-year-old Janine Jaramillo, a woman who had stolen a white Chevrolet Malibu two days earlier after its owner left it running to heat it up, with Janine reportedly telling a contact she had been kidnapped at knife point, with that person then calling 911, according to the authorities. Though it's unclear when that call took place, right before or after the cops were pursuing the vehicle. Janine then leads the police on an insane reckless chase supposedly being held captive by this guy in the car going the wrong way down Interstate 25 and eventually ending in a five car crash that killed two people, including an officer and a retired firefighter, as well as injuring Janine herself and one other person. And then according to Janine, she briefly blacked out while the kidnapper fled and later recalling. So I crawled out the driver's side uh, window. I fell to the ground and I seen the police. I looked up and there was the police and I just ran for my life and I was screaming, help me like, you know. Um, I'm crying, I'm hysterical, and I'm in shock. And with all this saying, the entire ordeal started when she and a man she briefly dated were at an apartment and he refused to take her home, so she screamed for help. A neighbor then called 911 and the man took her away in the car. This absolutely horrifying, scary story and of the men she dates, uh, Janine said, My life has been uh, pretty rough lately. I mean, I haven't had the best uh, choices. I haven't made the best choices in relationships at all lately. And it seems like I'm just gonna be stay single because this is uh, too much. But then almost immediately you had people suspicious because as it turns out, she did nearly identical shit back in September and October. According to the police in those court records, lying about boyfriends being involved in crimes that she committed. And get this, one of those incidents was her claiming that she was held at knife point during a police chase. But with that, investigators never found boyfriends back then and the one that they actually did track down was quickly determined to be innocent. There were also other red flags that popped up such as the key to the car that Janine left and the police cruiser that she was held in. Or the DNA all over the airbag, an officer witnessing only one female driver at the scene, and the fact that the car's event data recorder only showed one occupant. And so now Janine has been arrested and faces charges of first degree murder by vehicle, receiving a stolen vehicle, fleeing law enforcement, and tampering with evidence, with Janine facing 30 years to life just from the murder charge alone. And all of that is why Janine is our douchebag of the day. And then in entertainment news, we had the Batman making headlines for a number of different reasons. The first being while the movie's gotten very good reviews, audiences are liking it so far, one audience in Austin got an objectively more exciting theater experience than anyone else. With that audience reportedly getting a true 4D experience because someone released a bat into the crowd. With a theater representative telling a local outlet the bat was brought in by someone as a prank. With one viewer saying the management had to pause the movie and make multiple attempts to get the bat out. That didn't work and so animal control had to be contacted. while everyone was offered a refund, most people ended up just staying to watch the film, bat and all. Then one of the other headlines is this has been a massive box office success. The Batman raking in $134 million at the box office domestically this opening weekend, making it the biggest movie during pandemic times behind Spider-Man No Way Home, with it globally making $250 million over the weekend, so a very big weekend for the Batman. But despite the critical and commercial success of the movie, there has been this other final thing that we'll talk about, and that is this whole conversation about the Batman going woke that that people have been tweeting about. Also, to preface all of this, I have not gotten a chance to see the movie yet, so I can't speak to anything. But apparently people have been taking aim at things, like a a line where Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman apparently calls the Riddler's victims white prisoners Privilege assholes. and one of the more viral takes on this subject came from the likes of RK Outpost Live. And that because he put out this eight and a half minute review where in general he's praising the movie completely, but there is this section that I'm gonna show you that has been clipped and it's gone massively viral. There were only a couple good people in this, in this movie. Uh, you had Bruce Wayne, Batman, and you had Alfred. Those are the only two good white people um the rest of the really the three other major players that I would consider like overall like moral good people were you know you had Jim Gordon who's black in this you had Catwoman who's not white in this and then you had the mayor who's a black woman again very much on the nose for current day Hollywood did not like that took a couple took a little bit off the score for me to be honest overall my experience with it is an eight out of 10. A take that if you scrub through the internet, some people do agree with, but has also been widely mocked by a lot of people, even seemingly parodied by some creators like Chris Raygun. I just don't understand uh, why there are so many black people in this movie. Like I don't get f- that woman's all black uh, f- and, uh, commissioner Gordon's all black. Uh, there's a black woman mayor, which is literally impossible. Don't know why they would f- that takes me right out of the film. And this also isn't the only way that race is being brought up when discussing the Batman right now. Because on the other side of things, you have Zoe Kravitz recently doing an interview with the Guardian where she said that she actually wanted to audition for the Dark Knight Rises, but was told she was too urban for the role. And with that saying, she doesn't know if it came from director Christopher Nolan, suggesting that it probably came from someone working in casting, but adding, being a woman of color and being an actor and being told at that time that I wasn't able to read because of the color of my skin and the word urban being thrown around like that, that was what was really hard about that moment. Right. So while you have some people complaining about a diverse cast, you also have the story of this actress in this movie previously unable to break into this universe because of her race. But with all of this, I would like to pass the question off to you. For those of you that have seen the movie, what were your thoughts? One, on the movie in general, and two, on this kind of micro-argument that's happening regarding the the movie being woke or not. But from that, I want to take a second to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Raycon. Raycon's wireless earbuds give you amazing audio quality wherever you go. I use mine when listening to podcasts, Zoom calls, riding my bike, just when I want to wind down. And they're co-founded by audio engineers and some of the music industry's elite who are designing premium wireless audio for half the price without compromise and an incredible customer experience from start to finish. Raycon's Everyday Earbuds feel so comfortable with optimized gel tips for the perfect noise, isolating in-ear fit, so they won't budge, and really, I know they will not budge, trust me. Plus, they're available in five stylish colors, they sound great, 32-hour battery life for eight hours, of playtime, seamless Bluetooth, pairing more bass with a built-in mic so I can take calls with the press of a button. So with all of this, it's no wonder that Raycon's Everyday Earbuds have over 48,000 five-star reviews. What are you waiting for? Click that. A link in the description or go to buyraycon.com slash DeFranco and get 15% off your Raycon purchase. And then, you know, recently there's been a lot of discussion about what would happen to abortion access if the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade when it rules on Mississippi's 15 week abortion ban later this summer. And now two new studies into Texas's even more restrictive six week ban may shine a light on the issue. Right in the months after the Texas ban took effect, abortions in the state fell by 50%. But now these new studies from two groups of researchers at the University of Texas at Austin found that abortions actually fell at a much lower rate, about 10%. This when accounting for people who went to a clinic out of state or ordered abortion pills online. According to one of the studies for each month between September, 2021, when the law took effect in the end of the year, an average of 1,400 Texans sought abortions in one of the seven nearby states. That is 12 times the number of people who got out of state abortions before the law. And during that same time period, an average of 1,100 women each month ordered abortion pills online from the overseas service aid access, which sends the pills by mail and skirts abortion restrictions by connecting people seeking abortions with European doctors and Indian pharmacies. And notably here, the figures are actually probably higher because the studies only account for those who visited 34 or 44 clinics in the seven neighboring states and exclude people who may have gone to additional states beyond those seven or crossed the border to Mexico, as well as those who used other methods to get abortions, like ordering pills from online pharmacies that haven't yet published their sales numbers. But regardless, experts say that this data is very significant because it shows the limitation abortion bans have at actually restricting the procedure. As Carrie White, the lead researcher on the new out-of-state abortion study said, the law has not done anything to change people's need for abortion care. It has shifted where people are getting their abortion care. And going on to say that she was surprised by how few abortions were actually prevented by such a broad set of restrictions and that, the numbers are way bigger than we expected. It's pretty astounding. But still, this is not impacting everyone the same. A wide range of research has continuously found that abortion restrictions disproportionately impact lower-income people and minority groups. Right, It affects people who can't afford to travel to another state, take time off of work, or pay for the necessary childcare, lodging, and transportation in addition to the procedure. And beyond that, if Roe is overturned, the same patterns these studies found in Texas may not hold true nationally because abortion access will be even harder to get once more states impose restrictions. Right? Because remember, according to reports, between 21 and 26 states are expected to ban or, at at least massively restrict abortion access if the Supreme Court allows it. And with many of those states concentrated in the same region like the South, it would be much more difficult for people seeking abortions to travel to neighboring states. But for now, that's what we know. We'll have to wait to see how the SCOTUS ruling plays out. And then, of course, today we need to end with Russia and Ukraine. Right, so looking at the big picture, it seems that Russia has shifted some of its priorities and is looking to secure major cities along the coast. That said though, it doesn't mean that other major cities like Kharkiv and Kyiv haven't received their share of shelling. As far as numbers, the death toll on both sides continues to rise with the UN confirming at least 406 civilian deaths and estimating that as more information becomes available, that number will rise. Russia also seemingly can't stop losing war material with reports every day of Ukraine destroying entire columns of trucks and tanks or that an ever increasing number of helicopters and planes are shot down. Then one of the most outrageous pieces of news from over the weekend has been Russia's failure to follow its own set of ceasefires. Right in various combat zones, Russian commanders agreed to ceasefires to allow humanitarian corridors to be set up in order for civilians to escape the fighting. But in many places, those corridors were quickly closed and led to Russian attacks against those trying to flee. And this song and dance happened multiple times Likely leading to many feeling like they were in a lose lose situation. Or stay in a city like Maripol and get shelled, or try to leave after being promised safe passage and then getting shelled. With that, another ceasefire was offered this morning, but it looks like Ukraine's ignoring the offer because of this weekend's attacks, as well as anger that the corridors apparently would only allow people to flee to Belarus or Russia. And so, with that, it looks like things will continue to be especially bad in many Ukrainian cities with civilians trapped amid the fighting. And that's incredibly concerning because this same playbook was played out by Russian forces in Syria. They'd approach a city and set up a short lived, quote, humanitarian corridor for people to flee, but the time the frame for them being open was so short that very few people would get out and Russia would just then claim that they gave people a chance and use that to justify calling everyone inside of a city a combatant, with them using that excuse to then completely level some cities, which was a catastrophic disaster in Syria and would lead to similar atrocities in Ukraine. The war has also seen increased calls by President Zelensky for foreign help. In particular, he shifted to asking NATO for jet fighters so that Ukraine can effectively control the country's airspace. But with that, Putin warned that he'd consider any country hosting Ukrainian warplanes that were flying missions in Ukraine as part of the conflict. But those threats have not stopped US Secretary of State Anthony Blinken from announcing that the U.S. was giving the green light for allies to send Soviet-era planes to Ukraine. Because right, a lot of NATO members still have dated Soviet warplanes that Ukraine could actively use. Now, exactly how this will pan out remains to be seen, but it will, without a doubt, anger Russia. And while all of that is happening, Russia continues to face pressure, both at home and abroad. This weekend, we saw thousands of Russians being arrested amid anti-war protests. Which, I mean, I cannot understate the bravery because these people know they will be arrested and who knows how they're gonna be treated. Yet people still are coming out in droves to try and stop this war. Also, beyond public pressure, there's obviously economic pressure. The Russian stock markets continue to be closed, likely to try and keep Russian companies afloat a bit longer amid the rubles poor performance. And on top of that, company after company has continued to pull their services from Russia, or like two of the big four accounting firms in the world are pulling out of Russia. And beyond affecting their clients, this decision could also affect nearly 10,000 employees across both brands. However, while some of the world's biggest companies are pulling out of the country, there are notable exceptions. Coca-Cola, for example, has continued to operate in Russia and Belarus, leading to Ukraine's Twitter account, putting this out. It's not about taste anymore, but about good and evil. Cola chose the latter. Pepsi, time for your counterattack is now. But notably, Pepsi has also made no indication that it would stop working in Russia, though they aren't the only two brands facing immense pressure over this issue right now. With are now being calls to boycott McDonald's because of its decision to continue providing subpar burgers to Russians. And beyond all of that, Russia and Ukraine have held a third round of talks, although it's unclear just how much can actually come from this. And that because Putin says that this war will end when Kyiv surrenders and promises that Donbass and Crimea will be recognized and that Ukraine take an oath of neutrality. But at least right now, that doesn't look like it's going to happen. Those are things that are non-starters for Ukraine. And so with all of that, even though the war seems like a fairly localized thing right now, it may also lead to major issues in far off parts of the globe, right? Ukraine announced that it would stop shipping wheat and other foodstuffs, which as it turns out, Ukraine and Russia together supply a huge chunk of the world's wheat supply. Like Ukraine's nickname is literally Europe's breadbasket, but in reality, it's most of the world's breadbasket. So for places like Lebanon, Egypt, and Yemen, this sudden shortage is expected to lead to possible famines, especially among the poor who heavily rely on cheap grains from Ukraine. Also, it's not just wheat that's gonna be in short supply. The war is also helping drive gas prices to near highs across the globe. Here in the U.S., the national average for a gallon of regular gas hit just over $4 yesterday, according to AAA. That's an increase of 45 cents over the last week alone, and gas prices are now just pennies away from surpassing the all-time high from July of 2008, when the average price hit just over $4.11 a gallon. And remember, that's just the national average. Some places are already seeing higher prices, such as California. The state average is now just a little over $5.28. I mean, hell, I passed a gas station over the weekend that had over $7 prices. And this spike in gas prices comes as the war continues to rattle energy markets all over the world. in large because Russia is a major oil supplier, providing 10% of the world's oil and over a third of all natural gas consumed in the EU. And very notably here, while many Western leaders have imposed sanctions on Russia, those restrictions have largely created carve-outs for Russia's energy trade. But despite that, the market has been self-sanctioning, right? Refiners, shippers, banks, and other institutions that deal with oil have stopped buying it from Russia because it's not worth the trouble. Meanwhile, Ukrainian leaders are asking other countries to just stop buying Russian oil altogether, and US politicians on both sides of the aisle have begun to echo those calls. Last week, a group of Republican senators introduced a bill to ban the US purchase of Russian oil, and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi voiced support for the move. On top of that, Secretary of State Antony Blinken just yesterday said that the US is in very active discussions with European allies about banning Russian oil imports. A situation so concerning and dire, the king of batteries, Elon Musk himself, saying we need to increase oil right now. But for now, that is where we are as we continue to wait and see what happens with all this chaos. But ultimately, that is where that story and today's show ends. As always, thank you for watching and supporting. Also, before I forget, remember to get what you want while you can over at beautifulbastard.com. The drop only lasts a few days and the sizes usually don't make it all the way. But with that said of course as always, my name is Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.